Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody, this is Frank LaRosa, and this is Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa, and I am really, really excited. I've been waiting for a couple of weeks now to have a very, very special guest on who I've known for a couple of years now and who I can actually attribute to some of the success of this podcast. He may not remember it, but I'll give you a little bit of the story once I make the introduction, but I want to introduce today Vaughn Kohler. How are you doing, Vaughn? I'm great, Frank. Thanks so much for having me. I can't tell you how excited I am to have you on. For those of you listening, I know Vaughn through, he's a former pastor, which he'll get into his background in a little bit, but a former pastor. But where I know Vaughn was he is the former co-host of a podcast called, well, it was called MFCEO with Andy Frisella. Now it's called A Real AF with Andy Frisella. So for those of you listening, if you want some really good content on entrepreneurship and life in general, and you don't have well, you'll get the idea when you hear the podcast. <laughs> it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the faint of heart. Yes. And the content is great. And Andy is a great human being. Don't let the F-bombs fool you. He's a great guy. Huge, huge, huge heart. And so for me, it was transformational for me when I first started listening to you guys on that podcast. And I remember my wife saying to me one day, because I'll get into my background a little bit, but my wife was saying to me, you should listen to these guys on this podcast called MFCEO. And you all can surmise what the MF part means <laughs> after you listen to about 30 seconds of it. And she said, what's really been eye-opening for me to understand what you're going through as a business person, because I was trying to explain some of this stuff to her, because I had come from a, I was a branch manager, complex director at a firm called Morgan Stanley and lost my job and was forced into entrepreneurship. I think that I had always been an entrepreneur at heart, which is why I went against the grain in the W-2 space. I was an action-oriented guy and just couldn't handle like, let's have a meeting about a meeting next week. And it takes a month to make a decision. And I just struggled with that. And so but I was forced into that. And my wife just said, you need to listen to this podcast. And so it was transformational. Andy Frisella runs a large supplement company called Supplement Superstores and was a co-founder with Ed Milet of an entrepreneur group called Arte Syndicate, which is this symbol right here, which I'm a proud member of and can really say that it's transformed and helped me level up my business. But one of the things that was great is that early on, I don't know if you remember, we were in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and I sat with you and my wife and we started talking about the podcast. And how do you do it with Andy? I have a co-host that usually sits with me, Dale Dempsey, who all of you know, if you're listening, will frequently wear a penguin outfit or something like that. He's sort of <laughs> kooky in that way. He's the personality between the two of us. But I remember really leaning on you on how you worked with Andy on that. And so I wanted to thank you for that first and foremost, because that was a really big deal. Uh, it was one of those fleeting conversations that you never really think has impact, but it had a lot of impact. So. That's great to hear. I actually remember that conversation pretty clearly, and I'm so glad that you followed up and took action to start your own podcast. So that's fantastic. I appreciate that. So this podcast for everyone listening is really going to be about faith and entrepreneurship 
because I believe that it's really important that you have faith. And again, faith means something different to everybody. Within our company core values, one of our core values is commitment to faith. And it doesn't necessarily mean a religious faith, but it's a faith in a higher power. It's a faith in a lot of different things, faith in yourself, faith in a process and faith in, I call it the law of the universe. But for me and how I operate on a daily basis, and I really, this is why I'm excited about this, I really include faith in the religious sense in God and him having ultimate control of my life in everything that I do. And people ask me, well, why don't you stress out about certain things and when things don't go your way necessarily? And generally because it's really not in my control. It's God's plan and I trust that's going to happen. And what I want to get into on this podcast is really how have you developed as a former pastor? I'd love to talk to you about your background and how has your faith background helped you in business and you've been in positions where you've been around really, really successful people. And what are the commonalities that you see in those people? So, so with that said, maybe just give our listeners your background, maybe not going back to high school, but (laughs) how you sort of came into the business world as a pastor. I'd love to. So I was a pastor for 10 years. I was a pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Manhattan, Kansas. And I basically left the ministry for two reasons. We don't necessarily have to get into all the denominational differences from church to church. But the long story short is that I felt God leading me to do two things. One was I had basically grown up an evangelical Protestant and I felt God leading me into the Catholic church. And so that's the first thing I'll say. And that was the first reason that I left the ministry. And I always like to say, while I did leave and become Catholic for very specific reasons that I feel very confident about. What matters to me is someone's personal relationship with Christ more so than the church that they belong to. So that's what's really the most important thing to me. But the second reason that I left the ministry was that I've always loved teaching and I've always loved writing and speaking and I've always loved students. And so I really felt God leading me the direction of becoming a college professor. And so in 2011, I left the ministry. And then for about a year or two, I worked for a college. I worked in the marketing department because I didn't have a PhD, but I talked them into hiring me in the marketing department. And my plan was that I figured a semester later, I would say, hey, by the way, I have a couple of masters. You ought to let me teach in the communications department. And that's what happened. I was pretty slick in the way that I arranged that. But the woman that I had married, my wife, she had just finished residency. And so for a variety of reasons, we moved from the Kansas City area to St. Louis. And because I had been a pastor for 10 years, I had had no difficulty getting into that. I'll call it a career. I mean, it's a calling, but I call it a career. I had no difficulty getting into that career. I had talked my way into getting hired at Benedictine College. So I thought it was going to be super easy. We moved to St. Louis, and I'm just going to be able to talk my way into a new job. And what happened, Frank, was that it was a very humbling time. Because I started sending out all sorts of resumes and I started contacting people and trying to, as they say, hire a boss. And I wasn't getting any traction. And it was very humbling. And I was starting to get pretty desperate. My wife was a doctor, but she had taken a job at a startup. So she was being paid about a third of her market value. And we had student loans that we needed to pay. And so I was starting to freak out thinking I'm not providing for my family. What am I going to do? And two things came up. One was that there was a local magazine that had asked me to write for them because they knew that I was a good writer. So that wasn't full time. I was basically asked to write 
per article and it was about $250 per article. And so there was no way I could make a career out of it at that time. The two other things that came up was that I started thinking, well, I am a good writer. Maybe I ought to try my hand at ghostwriting and starting my own ghostwriting company. And I did. I filled out the paperwork to get the LLC and all that good stuff, but I hadn't gotten it rolling yet. So that wasn't bringing in any revenue. So I was left basically with this company that had contacted me because I had put my resume on monster.com and it was called Tri-County Water and Air. (laughs) (laughs) And the job was selling water purification systems. Now that is a completely fine career. It's very noble. They have a good product. But honestly, after being a pastor for 10 years and having these noble aspirations of wanting to be a college professor and wanting to do these great things, I thought, are you kidding me? I'm 40. I'm going to be a water purification system salesman. And so I was really depressed. I thought, I had really lost my way. I was really kind of just asking God, like, what are you doing, Lord? And so on the day that I went out for my very first call, it was a very bleak February day in Southern Illinois. I mean, it was just a very depressing day. The sun was not shining very well. It was dark. It was a true test. You were being Yeah, it was a true test. (laughs) True (laughs) test. And so I went out to this first sales call in Southern Illinois. And on the way, I got a phone call. And the phone call was Bobby Keppel. He was the guy that had actually started the magazine. And he said, hey, we just fired our editor. Would you like to be our full-time editor? Because we think you could do a really good job. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. Turn the car around. Right. (laughs) And he said, now I have to tell you that we're a startup, so you're not going to make a lot. And it was basically the salary of a starting teacher. And so it wasn't a lot, but it was a full-time job. And so It was something that was encouraging to me. And I said, yes, absolutely. I'll take it. So funny story. I got to my first sales call and it was this young couple. They were very nice. And this water purification system was pretty expensive. And so I start going through the whole presentation and I get to the part where they say, you're probably going to encounter some pushback at this point. And sure enough, they said, this seems like kind of expensive. We're not sure we're in the place for it right now. We had this whole list of objections, like how we were supposed to handle objections. <laughs> yeah, right. And I said to them, I totally agree. I don't think <laughs> system for you. And the guy literally laughed out loud. He goes, aren't you even going to try to convince us? And I said, can I keep it real? And they're like, yeah. And I told them the whole story. And I said, I was so discouraged coming here. And I'm so sorry to be this forthright about this. That's great, though. To be honest with you, I have just been given hope that God has a plan for me. And there was like this pause. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Tommy Boy. Yeah. But there's a pause. And the guy goes, that is awesome. And they were just like so supportive. Their little town in Illinois even had this very famous local soda pop that they made called Ski Soda. And they're like, hey, have you ever heard of Ski Soda? I said, no. And they're like, oh, we're famous for it. And they loaded me up with a 12-pack of ski soda. And they were just awesome. They're like, go pursue your dream. That's awesome. So That's great. Yeah, I'm driving back to St. Louis. And the phone rings again. And it's Bobby Keppel. And he says, by the way, how quickly can you write another article? And I said, I could do it this week. Who do you want me to interview? And he said, well, you're going to have fun with this one. He says, there's a local entrepreneur who's literally built his company into a supplement empire from nothing. He's a big, intimidating Italian. His name is Andy Frisella. And like, I remember, I remember him saying, you're going to interview Andy Frisella. 
And you know what? I know we haven't gotten deep into this yet with the faith aspect, but I want to just encourage anybody who's listening. You can feel lost. I was driving to Southern Illinois feeling like I'm completely lost. I'm completely off what God wants me to do. I had no idea that he was orchestrating the events that he was because once I met Andy, I mean, I interviewed him for the article. We hit it off. A month later, I brought the magazine back to him. He read the article. He's like, dude, you're a really good writer. <laughs> but yeah, I am. But the reality is, is you got some amazing things. Your principles of leadership, your principles of business and culture. I said, story, dude, everything about him. Yeah, your story, everything about you. Like I told the whole story about how he got stabbed. I said, you ought to write a book. And he goes, I should. To be honest with you, I'm a pretty good writer. But he says, I just don't have the time. And I go, ha, ha, ha. I know a guy who I got a guy for you. For you. (laughs) I basically said, I want to help write your book. And he said, Well, send me a proposal. And this is funny. I don't know how many of your listening audience know much about the pastorate, but I think everybody thinks about when they think about pastors, they think about mega church pastors that are usually paid six figures. But the average pastor, pastors of church of like 200 people or less. And so you don't make a lot of money. Now, my church that I pastored was bigger. It was like 700 people. So they treated me okay. But I was not used to making any money as a pastor. And so I put together this proposal for Andy. And I really researched it. And honestly, I thought to myself, I'm going to do a good job. I know I'm going to do a good job. So I threw out a number that for me was just like enormous. It was a $25,000 price check. To a guy that drives million-dollar cars. (laughs) To a guy that drives million-dollar cars. But so I threw out this like $25,000 to help him write a book. He didn't even blink. And I'm like, oh man, Shit. 50. Yeah, yeah. But honestly, what happened was we started meeting and it's funny. Andy, as you know, is very driven. He expects high standards, but I still say that one of the best things that Andy has ever said about me, somebody said, what's Vaughn really good at? And he thought for a second and he said, you know what? Vaughn's really good at getting shit out of me. <laughs> meaning I'm good at sitting down with him and he says, this is an idea I have. And I start asking questions and I help him unpack that idea. And so that's what we were doing when we were talking about his book and his ideas. And as you know, Frank, I think you know this. He basically said, okay, well, let's record some of my answers and we'll just post them on social media and see what happens. People went crazy. They're like, this is awesome. Where's your podcast? He's like, I don't even know what a podcast is. This was back in 2015. People don't remember podcasts were starting to get popular, but mostly it was sort of a geeky thing that, oh, I have a podcast. It didn't explode until a couple of years later. So he says to me, hey, man, I like the dynamic between our conversation. I want you to be my co-host. And I laughed and I was like, I was so honored. But here I am, a former pastor coming from a fairly conservative environment. I knew he was a good dude, but like I didn't know what to do with F-bombs and the cussing and all that. And at the time, I had actually got another opportunity to teach a class at a local seminary, Catholic seminary. And yeah. And so like I was different like, side of the spectrum. Yeah, right. Well, this is a great story though. So I went to the priests who run the seminary and I said, Hey, listen, I got this opportunity. It's a pretty great opportunity. And this guy's a business genius and he wants to help people. And he's a really good dude. I said, but he cusses like a sailor. I mean, it's like he never met an F-bomb he didn't like. <laughs> and so it's funny because I look, the priest has kind of an interesting look on his face. And he says, well, is he promoting immorality? I said, no. And I said, in fact, 
the reality is, is a lot of what we're teaching is sort of what I would call Judeo-Christian ethics, business and success. And he says, so the only issue is the cussing? I said, yeah. And he said, well, I mean, if your conscience is clear with it, he said, there's no problem with that. They said, there are people who would judge you for that. But he said, Vaughn, nobody who's going to judge you for that is probably listening to it in the first place. Basically, he said, we don't think you're sinning. That's completely up to your liberty of conscience. And I was on another podcast recently where a host brought out the fact that had I not gotten that wise counsel from that priest, I probably wouldn't have done it. If he would have said like, oh, yeah, that's bad. I probably wouldn't have done it. And the history would have been completely different. So I agreed to it and it was just surreal. And over the next couple of years, I mean, we had a little bit of a learning curve, but not much. I mean, like within a month, we're getting millions of listeners and we were getting amazing guests on like Tim Grover and Lewis Howes. But I think the thing that people really loved about the MSCEO project was mostly it was just Andy sharing his story and his insights and his personality And that was so much value. We didn't rotate guests like a lot of podcasts do. When there was a guest that we really thought had value, we brought him in. But we didn't have guests just for the sake of having guests. No, I think, look, it was a lot of the discussion between the two of you and for anyone that was running a business or trying to run a business and start a business, it was almost better than like getting an MBA. MBA, read a book here, know this information. But if you want the real life version, listen to Andy and Vaughn talk about business. One of the things that you may not know, and you're talking about faith earlier on, why this is such an important interview for me is because that point about where you said you were lost. So when I, and a lot of my listeners know this, but when I got fired from my job, that was who I was. I was at the pinnacle and I basically sort of lost my whole identity, lost all my money, accounts were frozen, and it was just an ugly situation. Attorneys and all these things and struggling, depressed, couldn't get out of bed just was a struggle for me. And I would do some things. I'd look for jobs and would just get further depressed with what was out there. And the day I remember exactly where I was, what I was doing, I was driving down the street and I was going past this church in our town. And there was a PSC&G crew working on the side of the road. And I remember looking at them and being envious that they had a job. Now I was making not quite a million bucks, but I was right up there at 38, 39 years old, 39 years old, I think it was. And being envious, And I sort of just had no music on and I was sort of doing the recruiting thing, which is what I do today, but I was sort of half in, half out. And I remember saying, literally talking to God and saying, Lord, just tell me what you want me to do because what I'm doing right now is not working. I'm half in, I'm half out, I'm doing some recruiting and I'm doing okay, but I'm looking for another job and just was like, tell me what you want me to do. It was like he was sitting in the passenger seat, like this is what I want you to do. I want you to stop looking around. I want you to build a company within your space, within the financial service space that no one has ever built before. I had no ego at that point anymore because what got me into trouble, I believe, and, and made me believe that I was irreplaceable. So that ego was running the show. I believe that was him taking me out of that situation because my ego was out of control more or less. And so I had no ego left. When you're looking at PSG workers that are maybe making $75,000 a year and you're envious of them, you have no more ego. And I went to church every day. I went to a chapel right down the street here because there was a little chapel open up every day. And it was the only place I used to find peace. When my anxiety was just through the roof, I would just go and I would sit in the chapel. And sometimes it was, I would doze off for 15 minutes because I would just feel relaxed. But almost inevitably, 
I would go in there and something good would happen. I would get an email from somebody. I would get a phone call from an opportunity. It was almost like, wow, I'll just keep coming back every day because every day I come here, something good happens. (laughs) And so that's why for me, faith plays a huge role in my business. And I know that there's a lot of people sort of like your story where you just don't necessarily know what's happening to you right now. And you have to lean on faith to do that, to really understand that it's out of your control to a degree. You have to help yourself. So you have to do things because God's just not going to help you if you're not doing something. So I think people make that mistake. Well, I'm asking, well, you're not doing. He's looking to see what your actions are, not just what you're asking for and being grateful for. So in our space, and why I think this is great is that there's a huge transition of advisors going to be becoming entrepreneurs. And there's a lot of unknowns in that world in terms of running a business. And there's levels of anxiety that they get about what they have to do. And so I think that leaning on faith is really important. And I'm not the person, I talk about it more often than I have. And I find that the more I talk about faith, the better I feel, the more good things happen. And the people around me feel better. And it's an evolution, it's an energy, and it's a vibe, and it just continues to grow. But that's me. I live in a small circle. And one of the things I would like you to talk about is, one, what is this thing that I believe you sort of call sacred drive? And then maybe talk a little bit about how you feel based on your history, being around guys like Grover and Andy and Ed Milad, who's also a founder of the Arte Syndicate, and all of the other amazing people that you've gotten to come across through your relationship to these people. How do you see faith playing a critical role in these people's lives? Because there is no coincidence that when you hear ultra successful people talk, maybe not 100% of them, maybe 100% of them have a belief, but maybe they don't talk about it as much. But you do hear a consistency with a level of faith in them as an individual and as a leader. So I'd love to maybe talk a little bit about Sacred Drive and then get into that part of it. Basically, when I started working with Andy, people knew that I was a pastor basically because he made it a big deal. Like I wasn't going to make it a big deal, but he immediately started. Pastor of disaster and all that stuff, He immediately started calling me the pastor of disaster, DJ God, that kind of thing. And so I really appreciated that. He brought my spiritual background front and center, and he really affirmed the fact that I don't need to be ashamed of that. He made it cool. Yeah, he made it cool. And so I really appreciate that. And then what happened is over the next four, five, six years, because we were talking to entrepreneurs and people who were overachievers, who were very driven and ambitious, I would time and time again, get questions like this. Like I get a DM or I get an email and basically it'd say, Hey, listen, Vaughn. So I'm a total overachiever. I'm driven. I'm ambitious. I want to run up the score. I want to smash faces. I'm competitive. And I want to scale my business to nine figures. I want to win championships. I want to dominate everything I do. But I'm also a spiritually minded person. I'm a person of faith. I'm a Christian or people on different levels of the spectrum, different places on the spectrum. And they say, I want all that. But then there's a part of me that feels guilty about that. Should I feel embarrassed that I'm so driven, so ambitious, and I have such a commitment to overachieving? And I would always tell them, I'd say, listen, there's bad ambition and there's good ambition. Bad ambition says, I want to do all this stuff just for my pleasure and my ego and to make me look good and just to amass toys and trinkets and material things. And if that's all your motivation is, just to puff yourself up and beat your chest, yes, that's sinful ambition. And really, frankly, that kind of ambition is not going to ultimately satisfy. There's no way. 
as Andy has pointed out, there's been lots of people who have kind of pursued just nothing more than wealth and notoriety and fame. And what happens? They end up shooting themselves because they're not happy. But there is also what I would call a holy ambition, an ambition that says, I don't just want to be excellent for my own gain, but for the glory of God and the good of the world. Like I want to honor God in how I do things. And I want the wealth I create and the impact that I have and the influence that I exercise. I want it to benefit people. I want it to benefit the world, be good for the world. And so that holy ambition, another way of putting it is sacred drive. We have this sacred, special drive within us to be excellent, to be ambitious, to be committed to excellence. Again, not just for our own gain, but for the glory of God and the good of the world. And that's where the term sacred drive comes from. It's just another way of saying holy ambition or righteous upward mobility. Faithful overachieving is kind of another way that I put it. So that's what the idea is. And I've told people, and this is what my book is all about, is that you can cultivate sacred drive. You can cultivate a holy ambition and feel good about yourself. Be competitive, be excellent, but also do it to the glory of God and the good of the world. I've never heard it that way. It's so funny that you're saying that because at the beginning, the first couple of years of my business, I was doing okay. I was sort of leaning into it and I was doing great. And it was all about how much money can I make? I had to catch up and all that stuff. And it was growing. There was something missing. It was like, why am I I not hitting my stride? It wasn't until, and I literally, and I told this story to Ed, the first time I ever met Ed, we're sitting at the dinner that you guys did. It was the first syndicate live event. We had that dinner that night and I basically got rid of everybody in my office. I'm like, this is not working. It's all about me. I have these dialers out here and they're, it's all about me. I said, I got rid of everybody. I said, I want to go find one good person, one good person. And I found Dale and sort of Midwesterner, Kansas city guy. You guys have a lot in common, including you're both bald. <laughs> nice. He's got a great haircut. Yeah, he does. Right. He's got a good look. <laughs> and we wanted to grow it with quality people from the ground up. And I turned it into, we're going to build a company that people can come work here that are going to be able to build wealth for themselves. And I had goals for him. Like I set goals for him personally. Like, hey, listen, they were in like a small house and sharing one car and his wife was working in Philadelphia and kids and it was chaos. I said, look, my goal for you is you're going to be able to make as much money as your wife. Then you're going to be able to make more money than your wife. You're going to get your first house. You're going to get two cars. Then you're going to get a nicer car. Like those are my goals for him. And Ed Ed said, well, what is your most proud accomplishment? Basically, he was asking me. And I said, that guy right there. Because he came into this business knowing nothing. His life has changed. But it wasn't until I really started implementing faith into the business and making it about everybody else other than me. Because I was like, shit, in my old life, it was all about me. And that ultimately got me crushed. And so I better not do that again. I better not repeat the same mistake. And when I did that, that's when my business started taking off when I really started making it about everybody else. And so I think that that's where people struggle. What I'm hoping that they get from this discussion is that when you're building a business and you're running a business, and as the entrepreneur, one of the biggest mistakes is entrepreneurs think, oh, I'm the entrepreneur. I'm the owner. I'm going to put my feet up on the desk and I don't have any responsibilities. I can go out and I can take the day off and I can do whatever because I got workers. And I think that it's that checking your ego at the door and it's all about them and not about you anymore. But the sacred drive is so interesting because I've never heard it described that way, but it makes perfect sense. It's okay to have sacred drive. It's okay for you to have a drive. Like I want to have a huge company. And I know that if everybody that works with me as partners 
does the right thing, they're good people, they do the right thing for our clients, which is first and foremost, then we'll all make money and ultimately I'll make money. I'll do just fine. Absolutely. So when you look at these entrepreneurs that you've spoken to, what is a common theme that you see with them in terms of how they've incorporated faith into who they are as a business person, but you're typically talking with the leader of that organization? What is that common theme that you can see? Because a lot of our clients and our listeners, they're running the business, they have employees. And so what is it that you think they can incorporate, like a Tim Grover or or an Ed Milet or other great guests that you've talked about that I know are faith-based individuals? Well, two things come to my mind. And I think in order to communicate those points, I want to share a couple of personal stories. I'm a storyteller and I think people like stories. So the first story is when I was in fourth grade, my grandfather came to live with us. I lived in Kansas at the time, but my grandfather was from Philly because both my parents are from Philly. And he was a lifelong blue collar worker, worked in a factory. Toward the end of his life, he had sort of a semi-retirement as a custodian for a school. He was not a guy who made a lot of money his whole entire life, but he was so generous of spirit. He was so kind. We called him pop-up. And I just had the greatest memories of him. But as a result of working in a factory, as a result of smoking his whole life, he got emphysema, had to have a lung removed. And so he had real difficulty breathing. And so he came to live with us because his doctor told him that the air in Kansas was better for him than the air in urban Philadelphia. And so he came Probably and moved good out. Advice. <laughs> yeah. So he came out and lived with us, but he ended up getting so weak that he couldn't even really get up to walk all the way to the bathroom. So we got a little porta potty for him. We'll put it right next to his bed. So he was able to get out. And so my job was basically as a fourth grade kid, my mom would have me empty the porta potty, which frankly was not a very difficult thing. Literally, you just take the bucket out, you pour it into the toilet. It doesn't even really smell because there's like ammonia in it and everything. One time she asked me to do that. And I don't know, I was just in a bad mood. I was cranky and complaining. And I said, oh, I don't want to do that. That's gross. And my mom said, hey, you need to keep your voice down because Pop-Up will hear you and he will feel bad that he's a burden on you. And he will feel bad that he has to be served. And so I said, basically, okay, fine, whatever. And I tried to kind of mask and hide my disdain for what I had to do. And I went in there and I did it. And when I came back, I put the bucket back in. And basically my grandfather said, Hey Vaughn, come here for a second. I said, what do you want to talk about pop up? And he goes, well, I heard kind of what you guys were talking about in there. And honestly, Frank, I just felt horrible. I felt like a donkey. And I'm thinking here, I have this great grandfather and he overhears me complaining about serving him when he had been so generous and so wonderful to me. And so I was kind of bracing for a tongue lashing, which is kind of stupid because he just wasn't like that. Even though I thought I had it coming, I was kind of ready to get completely lectured. And he says, hey, I just want you to know that that's gross. You shouldn't have to do that. And I go, no, no, it's okay, pop up. He goes, no, no, it's gross. And he said, I just want you to know, He said, I so appreciate you serving me that way. He said, you're a great grandson and I'm so proud to have you as my grandson. So I'm starting to like get really moved by this because I'm thinking here I am complaining and my grandfather is praising me. And so I'm like, what is going on? How is it possible he's responding to me like this? And then he holds out his hand. And remember, this is a guy who was not very wealthy at any time in his life. And he holds out his hand. It's 1983. And I said, what are you doing, Pop-Up? And he goes, just hold out your hand. So I held out my hand and he puts his fist in my hand and he opens it up slowly and he takes his hand away 
and there's a crisp, clean $5 bill. And I'm like looking at this thing going, <laughs> holy cow, I can buy a couple GI Joe guys with this, or I can buy a ton of candy. And all of a sudden it hits me. I was like, man, I'm complaining. Not only does he praise me, but he gives me $5 that I don't deserve. Like he's just lavishing his love on me. And I was really emotional. And honestly, man, from that time in 1983 till now, I've gone to four years of a Christian college. I went to seminary. I spent 10 years in a ministry reading all sorts of deep theological books. Guess what? Nothing has communicated to me the essential nature of who God is more than that act of kindness, of giving me something that I don't deserve. And you ask about what all these great entrepreneurs and overachievers have in common. To me, it's the fundamental belief that even when we make mistakes, even when we get off the path, even when we do something really boneheaded, there's some fundamental belief that God is good, that he still loves us, that he still wants to bless us. He wants to do good for us. And so we need to keep moving forward. Don't get discouraged. Don't beat yourself up or get depressed or get into a big funk, but just say, okay, I screwed up. Maybe I made a tactical error, or maybe I did something shady for which I'm ashamed. You can't just waller in self-pity. You've got to realize that, yeah, we might complain. We might be the fourth grade Vaughn, but God is like Papa. God's going to give us that $5 we don't deserve. He's going to lavish that generosity on us in a really, really powerful way. And to me, that's got to be a core belief. If you're listening to this right now and you're going, I don't know that there is a God who really loves me and really wants to be kind to me, you're going to go insane because there's so many bad things happening in the world that if you don't have that fundamental belief in God's goodness and generosity, you're just not going to make it. And I've seen that. People on our different points of the spectrum. Some people are just sort of broadly spiritual. Other people are actually committed Christians, but I see a common belief in them that, yeah, there is a God and he's good. He wants to help me. Does that make sense? Yeah. I use the term to sort of delayed winning, but really it's a faith-based saying because I don't believe that any mistake that we make is a mistake. I believe it's a lesson that God is teaching us. And so what I've learned and so in our world, advisors are going and they're building their business for the first time. They have a practice, but they're going to build a business. There's a lot of things that happen, a lot of moving parts. I had an advisor move recently and they got there and then all of a sudden their license got held up and they were panicking. And I'm like, okay, it's okay. Don't worry about it. A sense of trying to calm them down because I know that they're a good person and God would never do something like that or harm that person in the way without some type of lesson that they need to learn. And my point to them was, you're a business owner now. You have to learn to roll with stuff like this. Otherwise, you're going to go crazy. And these are the things, what I have learned in faith is you make mistakes. I've made some mistakes, but because I've learned from those mistakes, I'm being rewarded because I've learned what the lessons were that God wanted to teach me. And so I'm being rewarded. And so I'm trying to pay it all forward to help people. But I do believe that it's same thing with marriage everybody makes mistakes and there's two parties. I always really feel sorry for somebody other than sort of abuse and stuff like that. But I always feel like when I hear a couple get divorced, we had a good friend of ours recently. We found out that one of our, like our first adult friends that they got divorced. And I just felt sorry that we weren't around to help them through that because there were lessons that God was trying to teach you that maybe you weren't learning because somebody's ego was too strong. Somebody's ego was too much and they couldn't 
and learn. And I, I feel sorry for them on that. But I believe that if everybody has faith at the center of everything that they do, everything. People don't understand when you talk about entrepreneurship and business. Well, like, oh, it's business. You can't intertwine the two. I'm like, no, 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 no. Faith has to be, if you want to be really successful and have everybody around you be successful, faith has to be at the absolute core of everything you do. Because when business doesn't go well, you lose a client or you lose a big opportunity, the only thing that's going to keep you sane is faith. The only thing that's going to keep you sane is knowing that it's going to be okay. Absolutely. And what did you learn from losing that opportunity? Because there's a lesson in there that God's trying to teach you. So someone came to me the other day and said, you have all the stuff going on and you seem to take everything in stride. I mean, look, I'm an Italian also, so I can get a little emotional. <laughs> but they were asking me, how is it that you manage to handle all these things? And I just said at the core of it, I talked to myself. And whenever I'm feeling a little bit more anxious, I just say, you have to go back, lean on faith, and it'll all be good. And it calms me down. And then I get more clarity, and then I can make a better decision. Absolutely. And at the core of that is just the belief that God is good. And if it's okay, I was going to tell. Yeah, that'd be great. One more, would be awesome. So this is actually the story I just told was in fourth grade. This is, I'm going back a little farther to when I was five years old and my dad died of cancer. A more recent story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So my dad died of cancer in 2017, but when he was alive, he was just this really virtuoso piano player, organist. He was a lifelong minister of music. He sold church organs and pianos for a living. So the man knew how to play the piano and the organ. He was just a brilliant musician. And when I was five years old in kindergarten, I actually took piano lessons. Of course, it's super basic at that point. I took piano lessons in Lincoln, Nebraska from a really well-known piano teacher. And she had this big recital at this big recital hall that had like 200 people in it. And there was a bunch of students. And so I was supposed to perform a real basic little piece. But what was really exciting about it was that I was supposed to do a duet with my dad. And so I remember this like it was yesterday. I sat down at the Steinway piano. Here I am, this little five-year-old kindergarten kid, five years old. And my dad sits down next to me and I'm just sweating bullets and I'm so nervous. And I'm just like, I don't know how this is going to go. And in front of these 200 people, I look up to my dad and I said, Hey, are you sure you can do this? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the absurdity, because this is like a one line little single note. It was like Mary had a little lamb or twinkle, twinkle, little star or something like that. And everybody burst into laughter. And my dad looks down at me and he said, yeah, I think we got this. And so I started playing my one note. Sometimes I would play the next note too fast or sometimes I'd play it too slow. Sometimes I would play the wrong note altogether because I was five years old. I didn't know what I was doing. And you know what, Frank, what my dad did and is so meaningful to me is that he put one arm around me, he put his right arm around me, and he put his left arm on the keyboard and he started playing around me. And he started playing this flourish of notes, this progression of chords. And he took my one note and he played around it in such a powerful, beautiful way that he produced beautiful music. And it was really, truly amazing. And of course, when we were done, the audience gave us a hearty round of applause. And I've always used that as an analogy that, so the Bible says in Romans chapter eight, all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And the Bible from the beginning to the end basically says that nothing happens apart from the will of God. Jesus even says, not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of God. 
God is so intimately part of our lives and the unfolding events of the human race that we don't have to worry that something's just meaningless or that everything's out of control. And what's interesting is that regardless of where people find themselves on the spectrum, whether they're just sort of basically broadly spiritual or they're professing Christians, or even if they're just not even religious in any way, what's really interesting is that when there are surveys done and polls taken in America, again and again and again, regardless of whether people are religious or not, they do have that basic belief that everything happens for a reason, that everything happens for a purpose. What I find in entrepreneurs and overachievers is this basic belief, not just that God is good, but like you've been saying a couple times throughout this podcast, that God's in control, that everything happens for a reason. And what our job is, to bring it back to the analogy of my dad and I, our job is just to play our note and to trust that God's going to put his hands around us and he's going to play the rest of the notes in a way that's going to produce beautiful music. We are faithful to do the next thing. We are obligated, like you said, to take action and to put it in the language that Andy Frisella would use, to identify the critical tasks that we have to do for the day and to do them. And when we do that, and when we trust that God's able to take our single little action and make beautiful music out of it, that gives us a peace and a confidence that other people just don't have. We know things are going to work out okay. Because if you don't, and you realize entrepreneurship is chaos, <laughs> All it's day. everything happening, chaos. And so if you don't think that there's a God in control, and if you don't trust that God's going to work out everything, you're going to go insane. Oh, I know. And you're going to have a level of anxiety that you're just not going to be able to deal with. And so I find that the people who are truly overachieving entrepreneurs, just killer epic achievers who are also people of faith, they have this rock steady confidence that everything's going to be okay, that God's in control and that they just need to continue being faithful and doing what they need to do. The results will come. That's like a mic drop right there. Like play your note. That is an unbelievable analogy of if you're running any kind of business, not just financial service business, any kind of business. So we'll leave it at that. That was incredible. My message to advisors that are listening to this you're sitting there, you know, you're unhappy at the firm that you're at because they're doing things the wrong way. And what's stopping you is this unwillingness to get uncomfortable and lean on faith that everything will be okay when you leave. And the message, which I've also learned over time is when you're going to the office, and you're not feeling good about the situation. You have to understand the way I look at it is that is God telling you to leave that situation. You're just not listening. I really believe that. They talk about that inner talk, the, I call it the gut feeling. Gut feeling to me is God talking to you. And what holds advisors back a lot of times is the uncertainty, the fear of what's going to happen if I move. And the message, which is perfect for what you just said, is you know what you're good at. You know what you should do. Trust God or trust, have faith in something. Doesn't, again, depending where you are on the spectrum. That if you're doing it for the right reasons, and I always say to advisors, if you're doing it just for the money, it never works out. But if you're doing it for the right reasons, because you know that you're not happy there, your staff's not happy there, they're doing things that are contrary to you serving your clients, you owe it to your clients to make the move and just have faith that it'll work out and play your note. Everything else around you will be just fine. And so definitely, that's really the message. 
Absolutely. 100%. Frank, I do want to say thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we were able to make this work. I know we had to reschedule a couple times. I also encourage anybody to connect with me. I love meeting new people. You can go to my website, vaughnkohler.com. I have a weird name, so I'll spell it. It's V-A-U-G-H-N-K-O-H-L-E-R.com. I'm also on Instagram. It's just at Vaughn Kohler. And of course, if they want to pick up the book, they can go to Amazon. It's called Sacred Drive. But I do want to say, if you also want to, I do a newsletter every week. It's basically my attempt to fuse faith and entrepreneurship and overachieving. It's a free newsletter. I send it out every Sunday. I get good feedback from it. So uh, so hopefully if, if people want to go to my website and sign up for that, I'd love to be able to send them that newsletter. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was great to have you on. I was very excited about it. We had to reschedule a couple of times. But for those of you that are first time listeners, you listen at the right time. And for those of you that have been listening for a couple of years now, I appreciate it. I hope this was really valuable to you and you learned something that you can take back to your family and to your offices and really pay it forward with everybody else. So I appreciate it, Vaughn. Awesome. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Frank. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts. Podcasts.